The Pat Kenny Show on News Talk with Matter Private Network. During current restrictions, don't ignore your health concerns. Our expert team is ready to help. Boost or not to boost? That is the question, is it not? Professor Luke O'Neill, good morning and welcome. Good morning, Pat. How's it going? It's going very well. So, all the talk about booster shots, who should get them? Should they be given to only the vulnerable? Should the entire vaccinated population have another dose come the autumn? That's it. Yeah, huge question, Pat, which we'll be discussing watch in the coming two, three, four months because obviously there's talk of boosters now. I mean, people are saying, well, we're just about to finish our first vaccination campaign. Hopefully by the end of August, they're saying 90% will be the number, you know, and the question is, when should we start deploying boosters or to deploy them, in fact, to the the debate is still there at the moment. Should boosters be used yet? The, the main issue being, should we not give vaccine supply away, you see, to the developing world? So it's a really mm-hmm. important and, and hot topic that's going to be coming up more and more in the coming weeks. But the real question is, how effective are the boosters? Is it more of the same? Is it a different uh, recipe in the RNA vaccine? Yeah, well, well the, the immunologically, if you're an immunologist, you would say use boosters because they always really get things going. It's a bit like a refresher course for the immune system, actually, you might say. So in other words, the, the, the two shots you give get the whole thing going and everything's firing and it's fine, but then it wanes a bit or perhaps gets less strong over time. So you give a booster and now everything is really high then again, you know, and you're really boosting. The, the word boost, of course, is used for this, you see. But what we don't know is how much the response wanes over time. That's one slight unknown, you know. And then the second is, uh, if you give a booster, you will get a really strong response which will protect you against any variant is the prediction. And of course our fear is extra variants emerging. So if we give a booster, that would protect us against these new variants that are coming. But the evidence is growing all the time, Pat, that this this should should be allowed really, especially in certain groups. Because obviously, if you're in a vulnerable group, you really want to be protected. So of course the first people to get them will be probably the over 60s, for example. And then secondly, say transplant patients or patients who have a weaker immune response anyway, you might as well give them the best possible chance you see. So they're, they're the first groups, I guess, that will be, will be given boosts when, when the time comes. Now, how do they check on, you know, how protected you are? The, the antibody response you've told us before, um, it does wane, but then there are these kind of hidden T cells yeah. that are ready to prime the antibodies again once an, an attack occurs. Yeah, this, this is the core concept in the whole immune system, to be honest. So if you're infected, say, you'll make lots of antibodies and the cells that make them are called B cells and they churn out the antibodies. And over time, that goes away because the infection is beaten, you see. But amazingly, some of these B cells become what are called memory B cells and they go and hide away in your bone marrow and in your lymph nodes, actually. And then when you get reinfected, the memory memory cells, they've been trained, if you like, and they then make loads of antibody and protect you from reinfection. That's the single sentence that describes the immune system, to be honest. And T cells are there as well. The T cells are very good at helping to fight infection as well. So so even though antibodies go down, the more important thing to measure are these so-called memory cells. And they've measured them. They can find them now in people, and there's loads of them in people, you know, post-vaccination. So the big question is, will those memory cells persist over time? And with some vaccines, they persist for years. It's incredible, like tetanus. You can you can me- measure memory B cells 10 years after a single shot, you see. So uh, because it's a new virus and we still are learning so much, we don't know exactly how long these memory cells will persist. The second is, Pat, a great another phrase for you. It's called affinity maturation. There's a real bit of jargon for you. See, the antibodies have affinity for the spike on the virus and then the antibodies mature and become very sort of well-equipped, as it were. And that happens with the booster. You get a great affinity maturation response as well and that kicks off usually, you see. So, so these are the kinds of things people are measuring at the moment. 
Now, we know with the flu, you have to get the jab every year because of the variants, the different influenzas uh, that, that come about. So it's not great at, you know, generating these uh, hidden B cells that swing into action. Yeah, but the problem is the virus changes, you see, and then you have a set of trained troops that don't recognise the new virus quite as well because they've been trained to recognise the old one. In other words, they remember seeing the first virus, mm. if you like. The virus changes and then those memory cells don't recognise the new virus, hence the need for a, 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 a different vaccine with the flu, for example. And of course, what we really discuss would be using variant-based vaccines in the future, just like flu. You know, it might change every winter yeah. and you give one that's actually appropriate for the yeah. The virus is in, in circulation. Yeah, one one of the theories that I have, I've no scientific evidence to back it up, is that the so-called Spanish flu that uh, killed so many people in the early part of the 20th century, um, that it killed more young people than old because maybe the older people had been exposed to, to that particular variant decades before. Precisely, yeah, and there's some evidence for that, to be honest as well, exactly. Yeah, because again, the immune system remembers. It's one of the key traits of our immune system. It remembers previous infections and then responds better the next time, and that may well have happened with the 1918, and the hope is the same with, with COVID. If a new variant comes along, you still should have some immunity. It isn't totally different from the old guy, you see, the similarities between the new and the old, you know. So again, again, there should be some immunity to, to a variant anyway in the system. Uh, now, we want to talk about, um, anyway, the, the, the dilemma is, do we send as much vaccine as we can to the third world uh, so that variants don't develop? Because if most people are vaccinated, the virus doesn't have room to play too much and yeah. develop variants. Or do we protect ourselves so it doesn't matter who arrives here with what variant we're well protected because yep. we're boosted. That's, That's right. The that, dilemma. And there is evidence of waning immunity for definite. There's evidence that people who are vaccinated early in the year are inclined to be the ones who are pick up infection now than the ones who are vaccinated more recently, you see. So we're getting evidence of that, which is important to keep watching. And, and the bottom line, Pat, will be governments probably err on the side of caution. They might go, look, it's best to give a booster, especially in these vulnerable groups. That may be the final conclusion. And it is happening, of course, in Germany and Israel. You've seen probably these countries are saying already they're going to give boosters to the over 60. So I it'll come here. Um, uh, by the way, how well protected are we with uh, the J&J against Delta, the single shot? Because yeah. I've been looking for some research on this and I, I can't find any. No, that's, yeah, exactly. Right. There was stuff actually literally two days ago on that. It, it doesn't look too bad, actually. J&J does seem to be protecting as a single shot against Delta, which is good. And we might cover that actually on Thursday because there's new data coming out on that that's looking quite promising, really. Because the, the fear there was you'd need a booster for definite because it's only a single shot vaccine. Yeah. But there's some evidence now that single shot is showing persistent uh, immunity. And just remember, Pat, the most important thing of all is not that you get infected, it's that you get severe disease and end up in hospital. That's the real metric to look at you see so and again J&J seems to be holding up there Okay now let's talk about long Covid and whether vaccinated people can suffer from long Covid or whether the vaccine actually helps to mitigate the symptoms of long Covid and can kids get long COVID? Yeah, this is, this is the second big one. I mean, we'll be talking about boosters, but we're also going to, in the, in the next few months, I'd say, we're to long COVID because that's a really important area. It's obviously a reality in this disease. There's no question how people get long COVID and we've heard horrible stories of people having persistent symptoms for a long time. So, massive amount of research happening, Pat, into this. Unbelievable. Trying to get a handle on it. Very hard to pin it down, you see. Um, I saw last week, there's probably four subtypes, can you believe it? With 200 different symptoms. That's how complicated it is, you see. So, 
again, a huge amount of effort. And one question is, if you're vaccinated and you get reinfected, can you develop long COVID? I know it's a bit, a bit of a complicated thing and there's some evidence you might. There was a study in the New England Journal, 20% of people who had been reinfected having been vaccinated did seem to have a symptom or two a month later. So in other words, it's, again, it's a very important topic to get our heads around in terms of the symptomology and, and how we might treat it. And that research, obviously ongoing as more and more people, um, you know, recover or partly recover from having had uh, the virus. What about long COVID in children? Yeah, there's several studies on that. And and, um, again, that would be a worry because obviously children don't do they do very well with this virus. It's a benign disease in children, as we know, and they, very few die, thankfully. But then the question is how many would develop persistent symptoms and that would affect them in their schooling and so on. Very hard to get a handle on. In fact, some studies say 10 to 13% will have long COVID. Uh, there was a big study last week. It said 4.4% had symptoms a month later. That study's been questioned, actually, it was in the Lancet for methodological questions. So it's, it's really a, an open question at the moment. A really good one, Pat, was in Switzerland. They looked at children and 9% had uh, one or two symptoms. Now, this is like fatigue and, and brain fog four weeks after infection um, and then 4% at 12 weeks. It does seem to resolve, which, which is the good part of that. Mm-hmm. But strangely, they had a control group there of kids who weren't infected, right? And they reported the same level of symptoms. You know what I mean? In other words, it, it can be caused yeah. by other things, like you're out of school or some other reason you might report fatigue or headaches. So it's actually a very hard thing to get a handle on. And of course, it's very important that we see more data to give us more confidence around the incidence of long COVID in children, because it's a very important question. Some of the questions coming in. Uh, could you ask, Luke, I got sick, tested positive for COVID two days after my second Pfizer vaccine dose. Obviously, I got the virus in between the jabs. Do I need to get the second jab again or am I good to go? This is the problem. In a sense, this is not unusual. There's a massive range of responses you see to, to any vaccine. Some some are completely protected, some are less protected. It's a real mix of things, you know. But if that person tested positive after the second shot, their immune system, I bet, will still work really well. Well, and in some ways, having an infection on top of a vaccine would really get your immune system going, you know, because you've got a double whammy there. So I wouldn't be concerned about getting a third shot. I think that should be fine. Uh, Rory wants to know if there's any danger of overstimulating and harming the immune system from repeat boosters. Also, should Pfizer be given to those who got AstraZeneca first time out? Yeah, that's it. Well, the second one's really important. We've discussed before the mix and matching, haven't we? And massive mm. amount of evidence to say mix and matching is great. Lots of more. And since we spoke about it last, probably a couple of months ago, really strong evidence. If you have Pfizer after AstraZeneca, that's a really good thing to do. You get a huge response, you see. So one prediction is all the boosters will be RNA vaccines. And that makes sense. In China, that's exactly what they're making their own RNA vaccine in China, for instance, and they're, they're using that as the booster there, you know, so I can see the RNA vaccines being used as a booster. In terms of overstimulation, well, again, you don't want to overstimulate, so they'll be careful. You know, they, they, there won't be endless boosters, let's put it that way, and they'll measure very carefully what the third shot does to the immune system just to make sure there isn't some massive stimulation. But there shouldn't be, because, because remember, we, we, they know the dose to give and they, they know the exact response yeah. they can get, you see, so I wouldn't be too concerned about that. Now, what about people who are fully vaccinated uh, and, you know, they're mixing with other family members who are all fully vaccinated? 
Um, can they just all mix as they wish or should they take additional precautions like antigen testing and stuff like that? I think they can. Yeah, the, 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 We have to believe in the vaccines eventually, don't we? I mean, the vaccines are either working or they're not. And, and amazing, four billion people have had, have had one shot of a vaccine. Isn't that incredible? Remember, this is still a new virus. So we have a huge amount of data on this now and, and they're very protective. You, you do get some infections in vaccinated people. They can still transmit. But if they transmit to a vaccinated person, the chance of that person getting sick is really tiny, you know, so it should be possible for vaccinated people to mix freely, really, as they would have, you know, even if even before COVID began, really. Yeah, I know the, the CDC are recommending that vaccinated people, doubly vax people, if they're in crowded settings, they should, yeah. you know, wear the mask and keep social well, distance and so on. The key issue is people, lots of people that are not vaccinated, especially in the US, you see, the vaccination can mm-hmm. stall there. So there's plenty of people in a room who may not be vaccinated. And I- even though you're vaccinated, you might have a tiny bit of virus in your nose, you might still infect a vulnerable person. And that's why they're recommending mask wearing indoors again. Uh, my nephew had a bad reaction to the swine flu vaccine. Should he get the Pfizer? I think the advice would be yes. Uh, again, I double check though, just to be on the safe side uh, with the vaccinator or, or with your GP, as ever it is the thing, you know. But in general terms, having reactions or even an aller- allergic reaction to things before doesn't predict you will have an allergic reaction with these vaccines. But still, just to be on the safe side, just double check it with the, with the vaccinator or the, or the GP. Uh, my wife has been told by her consultants she can, under no circumstances, avail of any of the vaccines because her immune system is compromised by a chronic condition. Any advice from Luke? That's from James. You've got to follow the medical advice. It's so important for everybody to, to talk to their GP or whoever their, their doctor is because they'll have their full medical records, you see, and they can give an opinion then on that. But I, I would follow that opinion for definite because that's the safest thing to do. Yeah. Uh, my daughter got her second uh, Pfizer jab last week and has suffered heart palpitations. Should she see a GP? That's from John. If worried, absolutely see a GP. Anybody who has any worries, really, you know, of any kind, talk to your GP. The GPs are there to help, obviously, enough, you know, and if there's any concerns there, no, definitely. It's probably nothing. I mean, you do see these minor changes. They can be disturbing for people, of course, you know, but, uh, yeah. but any, any, any concerns, just talk to your GP. Yeah, I'd also be interested in finding out about uh, people who've been vaccinated long since, like me. I think it was the 13th of May I got my second jab. No sign of my COVID vaccine cert. Went on the portal, no. told me they didn't have enough information about me. So got on to the GP. The GP said, I'll send all the stuff in again. Still no joy Strange. telling me to ring the helpline. After half an hour on the helpline, they tell you, um, your wait time is approximately 90 minutes. God, I've heard now, that. If they told me no. that at the beginning, I wouldn't have wasted my time. Yeah, a couple of my friends uh, have had exactly that path. They're told to wait for 90 minutes. It's painful, isn't it, for them? You've seen, especially if they want yeah, to travel and, and they might have pla- travel plans ahead. So I don't know what's that. I got mine quickly, thankfully, I must say. But, uh, but many people are still yeah. waiting for those vaccine searches. It's a little bit disappointing. Yeah, and I have to say, in fairness to the portal, my wife, uh, her name was down as Kathy, which is her name, but her on her passport, she's Catherine. So she had to change it. Oh God, it yeah. was changed overnight. Got the the readjusted cert automatically. No fuss, no bother. Meantime, her benighted husband is waiting three months or That's whatever. Right. They're, picking, they're picking on your path. They're victimising you. <laughs> Maybe I've been too mean to the HSC <laughs> right. over the years. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Luke, we'll talk to you on Thursday about all those uh, other matters, uh, particularly J&J and Delta and all the rest of it. Luke O'Neill, Professor of Biochemistry at Trinity College in Dublin. Thank you very much for joining us. 